How many of you have been drinking this morning? So, a little bit of too much eggnog. All right, how many of you travel to somewhere else for Christmas? Just checking. Some of you are still like, I don't know what he's asking. All right, now here's the question. Now, you know we have a Christmas Eve service tonight. So talk about an hour, maybe a little bit less. Uh, we, we like to do the candle lighting and all the stuff and a little bit of Christmas story and some things. We'll sing all Christmas songs. So if you would like to, we would like to have you back tonight uh, to enjoy that. Now, here's the deal. I, I have to say this every year. As a pastor, it's my responsibility to uh, give us um, some direction and explain some things scripturally. This is right. This is wrong. This is sin. This is, scripture says this is sin. This is not. So I would like to uh, encourage everybody to go to Scripture this morning um, after we leave here and, and f- f- read the Christmas story. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read a lot of that this morning. I'll read a little bit tonight. Um, read the Christmas story and tell me if Jesus opened presents the night before he was born. Okay? Did Jesus open presents on Christmas Eve? No. That's a sin. Okay? All right. John chapter 1. I'm going, I'm continuing with the, with the uh, hero series. This is the last one in this. And uh, I wanted to um, look at the story of Jesus Christmas, some of that a little bit differently maybe, and, uh, and also from the hero perspective, uh, all of the stuff with, with hero. I, I, have, I, I have heard a lot of feedback from, I know I keep saying this every week, but Aquaman is still the best superhero. How many of you have seen the Justice League movie, the newest one? How many of you liked Aquaman? How many of you thought Aquaman was pretty? I did. I did. He was my favorite superhero. Now I'm slightly attracted to him. But <laughs> get, let's take that out of the... <clears throat> so I want to look at the superhero. And obviously, Jesus being the ultimate superhero. This is, a, this is a, a big deal for all of us, I think. But I want to I throw some things at you maybe a little bit differently than what you've seen before about maybe just the way to, to kind of mentally wrap up who Jesus is in some particular level. Because for me, a hero, a, a real hero is somebody that I can uh, follow, I can emulate. That, that's one of the things I mentioned, what, five or six weeks ago when I started this series. One of the things that I didn't, I didn't like to see starting, I, I grew up in the 70s and starting to watch comic books come from the 60s through the 70s into the 80s and watch some of the transition in super, superhero mentality that a lot of the super modern superheroes, modern heroes slash superheroes, in uh, comic books and things like that, have a, have a very dark side along with them too, and uh, and I don't I don't like that. I, I'm not saying that, and I know they're saying, well, we're trying to represent humanity better, and all humans have this, you know, dark side. Okay, maybe at some level, but the reason that we call them superheroes is because they're not like us. And so here's the reality of this when it interacts with us with Jesus. Jesus is actually a pure hero. He's a hero at every single level, and he's somebody that I can. I, I can follow, I can get behind. He's somebody that I can follow with my existence because he truly gave uh, example for every single second of his life. You can follow any one of those seconds and you won't be wrong. You can follow every single step he took and you won't be wrong. And you can't really do that with, with people. I mean, there's some great people on the planet. There's some uh, good people. There's all kinds of bad, everything else. But even the greatest of greatest people, 
you, you can't follow every single step because somewhere they're going to make some wrong steps, but not with Jesus. And so in looking at this, I want to go to John chapter 1 and uh, break this down into a few sections. For me, the, the kind of the idea of why do I see Jesus as a, as a hero, uh, a few things that may be a little bit from my perspective. The first one is that, that he, he truly came to this earth to put on humanity so that we could see God. Now, I, I've talked about this at different times before, and, and every time I talk about it, I, I go, I think about this, um, and, and I process it scripturally, and I go back and I look at some things and process, because this is, this is what I believe. I believe the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did and, and ever will do is what we call the incarnation, which is Jesus Christ taken on human flesh. Now, you would assume that what I was going to say is that when Jesus died on the cross. I think that that is an amazing miracle, and it is truly eternal life for us. And so for us right now on this earth, it is, it's everything. It's, it's night and day for us. I mean, it's win or lose, heaven or hell kind of thing. And I think that that is extremely important. But I believe that when you back this thing up and you look at this over the, 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 the course of everything, over all of of existence over all of not just existence of humanity but all of God's creation and everything that's going to come after we're finished on this earth and God creates a new heavens and new earth and everything when you look at the full scope of everything from angels perspective um, whatever else God has created all these other things a, a billion years from now I believe that God taking on the limitedness of human flesh and coming to this earth and, and limiting himself to the things of this earth. And again, I, I try to mention this to bring us in perspective. This was earth pre-air conditioning. He limits himself to humanity to come to this earth in a, in a uh, dietary cultural context that wasn't cool with bacon, too. You put all of this perspective together, and Jesus did a pretty big, amazing thing. Uh, what we call the incarnation. Think about your God over everything, and you voluntary. Scripture tells us that he voluntarily left his deity or the powerness of who he is God-wise, not, not the essence of God. He can't, you can't stop being God. He was always 100% God, but he took this, the powerness of who he are, the, the deity of who he is, and he puts it on the mercy seat, and when he dies on the cross, he comes back and puts his blood there and takes the deity back upon himself. Think about your God but for 30-something years, you voluntarily uh, choose to not uh, operate and act with all the godness that you can. You have the ability to do anything, be anywhere you want, do all this. And now you're limiting yourself to time and space. You're limiting yourself to uh, a little pooping baby body and all these different things. You're limiting yourself. I believe that the incarnation is the most amazing thing that he'll ever have done. And he does that specifically to set up the parameters so that he can die on the cross for us. That you add that to it, and it's, to me, it's just mind-boggling how amazing, how selfless, how giving all this stuff is. And so the, the, the basic concept of this is where we get Christmas from. I, I know that we usually take the wise men, and, um, and again, I mention this. I try to throw this in every year just to mess with some of you. There weren't three wise men. There was more than that. Okay, I know the song says three, but the song's wrong. Okay, the song also says that the 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 animals were keeping time with the drummer boy, but we don't really think that was happening too, right? So, <laughs> when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, it is. So, here's the thing: I, the, the we get the sometimes we get the mentality of Christmas gift giving from the wise men gave gifts to Jesus, or or uh, Saint Nicholas gave gifts to. Um, uh, homeless kids or things like that. 
And, and while those aren't horrible ideas or great ideas, I don't think that's really the, the big picture. I think the big picture is that Jesus gave himself to us. That's the gift. That's the gift that, is, that, that transcends any other gift. That Jesus said, I give myself to you. Now, let's go to John 1 because this is why he did it. Verse 10, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. He's talking about the Jewish people. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, which can be any and all of us in this room, but to anybody that believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Every single one of us in here have the opportunity to make a decision. Do I believe this Christmas story is real or do I not? I'm going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. But do I believe this or do I not? And, and do, I, do I take the opportunity that, that God has given me that I can be a child of God, that I can be part of the family of God? He gives me that right. He gives me that opportunity. And that starts with him coming to this earth, taking on physicalness of humanity and literally being born from a woman. That, that that's an amazing thing. That's supernatural. That's why sometimes in the Christmas story we try to take elements out. Do I believe um, in the Immaculate Conception? Do I believe in the Virgin Birth? Do I believe? I believe that those things are crucial to the story. I, I can't see how you could say Jesus is Lord and Savior and not believe in the um, Virgin Birth. They, they they're they're intertwined. They're not disconnected. If you don't believe in a Virgin Birth, then why would you believe in Jesus as God? You could believe in any Jewish guy at that time being God. You can believe in Fred, his Jewish cousin, as God. But the fact that he was immaculately concepted and and it was virgin birth sets the foundation that this is not just another human. He's only some human. The rest of him is God. And this, this is a pretty amazing thing that we have. So he says, because of this, you have the opportunity to become part of the family of God. They were reborn, those that believed and accepted. They were born not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. That you can, at some particular level, go through the same basic concept as what Jesus does on a physical, spiritual level. You can do the same thing. You can be born into the family of God. He was already God. You can be born into that family, and you do that through believing and accepting that Jesus is the the Messiah, the creator of everything. So the Word, Jesus Christ, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the God's one, of God's one and only Son. That part of the reason that he puts on this humanity, well, I think a major reason, is so that we see God. We get the physicalness to see God, to understand this is the heartbeat of God. This is why God does things. So everything that Jesus does, and and I'm going to read a little bit of scripture about this, but there's lots of scripture that talks about that he does this so we can see God. He does this to represent God. That when he prays sometimes, even prays to represent God, not necessarily talking to God. That he heals people because that's the heartbeat of God. And these are the things that we can follow. These are the things we can get behind and say, "This, this this is truly a hero. This is a real hero. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. You have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I accept you, and I'm going to spend the rest of eternity living. Or you can say, Jesus, I don't believe this. I don't accept this. 
and you spend, you spend the rest of eternity dying. You never die. It's not over. It never ends. But you spend all of eternity dying. The same way with living, it's never over, it never ends. You spend the rest of eternity living. But you make the choice. Do I believe that this, this baby in the manger is, is the Son of God, or do I believe that it's something else? Do I believe it's a, a plastic Jesus for the nativity? I, I, this makes me sound horrible as a pastor. I'm probably not supposed to enjoy this, but I read all over at Christmas time. I read newspapers online, all kinds of stuff, of all of the nativities all over the United States that somebody takes the baby Jesus. And I think that's kind of funny because they don't realize they're actually taking Jesus. To me, if you're taking Jesus, you may not believe in him as much as you should, right? If you're stealing Jesus, so, but they don't realize that they're bringing God into their life and they probably don't even believe in him. I just think that's kind of ironic. The second thing with this hero is that Jesus truly is this example that I'm talking about. He's an example to humanity. You can follow Jesus. I, I say this every now and then, and, and um, I think sometimes we, 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 um, we resist this statement a little bit. There's something about us that wants to resist it because we've had uh, very important, very special, dynamic, mentoring kind of people in our life, a grandparent or a, or a special friend or a relative or something that has been that, that person in our life. But here's the truth of this. The only person that will ever not turn their back on you or make any decision that is contrary to what's best for you is Jesus. People are going to disappoint you or hurt you or they're, they're going to. I mean, even the best of people, that's, that's the reality. Um, except maybe me as your pastor, everybody else is going to do something to irritate you or, or upset you or whatever. If you knew in my head how actually funny that sounds. So, <clears throat> but but Jesus is the one that you can follow. I believe in following people. In fact, I believe that this is an important thing in life. I believe specifically as a younger person, you should grab on to, to a diff, few handful of people in your life and follow them. They are going to disappoint you, but you don't let that make you stop following them. You follow their mindset. You follow different things about your life, their life. And, and you're doing it with a handful of people, so it's not just one person and one ideology or one uh, worldview or something else. And I believe you grab onto a handful of people and, and you follow them through life because they're going to teach you some things. They're going to help you. They're going to help you learn. They're going to develop some things. And you can do this passively. In other words, they don't know. You're like a stalker. Or you can do this very actively and go to them and say, I, I, I want to know more about you. Can, I, can you be a mentor to me? Can you, or something like that. But here's the reality. You will see things that are discouraging to you. That's, that's life. There are people that are following you that are being discouraged too. But Jesus will never discourage you. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13, <clears throat> it says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. That, that one gets me, right? But, but I've, I've actually been in cultural contexts where this is reality. I went to, years ago, I went to Africa. The first time I, I, I really had thought about this or processed this mentality, um, one of the things that we were going to do there is help pastors and, um, and churches kind of see the idea that there's more than just adults. They, don't, they didn't really, specifically in that country in Africa, they didn't really... Children ran around outside and played, and the adults had church. And so I was going to talk to him. I was a youth pastor at the time, and I was going to talk to him about that there's this kind of thing, that there is such a thing as kids can serve Jesus and teenagers can serve Jesus. That was very, very 
uh, foreign to them at that time. This was this was 25 years ago. Um, the, the idea that that Jesus cares about kids. Well, we're seeing this right here. They bring these kids to Jesus, and the disciples saying, "Don't bother him with the children. You can let the adults come because Jesus wants to minister to them, pray for them, but don't bother Jesus with the children." And I personally believe. The only thing I can prove from Scripture is that Jesus liked children just as much as adults. I believe that Jesus liked children more than adults. Here's the reason. Now, I don't, I don't ever want to be a children's pastor. That's not my thing. That's Pastor Mary and Anthony. Did, did anybody see Mary and Anthony come in this morning? They were wearing one sweater together. Something's wrong with those two people. <clears throat> but great children's pastors, they love the kids, they like hanging out with them, all that kind of stuff. Um, I couldn't necessarily be a children's pastor. My, my oldest son is visiting us from South Texas. He's a children's pastor. It's not necessarily my thing, but I do know this. Children are a whole lot easier, specifically younger, like under eight. They're respectful to you, mostly-ish. And if they're not, it's not out of just... I'm going to tell you what for. It's because they don't know or something like that. There's something about innocence with children that we lose as adults, don't we? We work hard over the years to, to lose. Uh, we let a lot of life beat us up and push us around all these kind of things, and we start being very much more skeptical as we get older. And so when Jesus says things like this, I think he's bringing some stuff in here. He says, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with the disciples, and he said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. I, I, am, I died on the cross for children too. Don't stop the children from coming to me. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. If, if somehow, and this is, I think, a challenge for us, as, as we get older and older, this becomes more of a challenge. You can become cynical as you get older. You, you become world-worn. What time did we start this service? Ten, okay. Okay. The clock's different to me than it usually is, so I'm just making sure. I got another hour? Is that what am I seeing there? Okay. <laughs> hour and a half? As we go. He says, people that can become like these little children, very innocent. You take, the, you take the edge off. You take the cynicism off. You take all this stuff. This is, when I see this with Jesus, and he pulls these kids in, he sets them on his lap or whatever and says, hey, these, these kids are important to me. These kids are, are vital to this thing. That's somebody I can get behind. That's one of the things that when, when, I, when I look at um, leadership, spiritual leadership, I'm talking like pastors and, and uh, leadership of churches, not just pastors, but different things, denominational kind of stuff, I, I watch how they treat people that don't, cannot give them anything or be a blessing to them in some way. If, how do they treat people that have no return value? Just, just somebody. That's why I've said before, and I know this is always the one I go to, but uh, there are people that I greatly respected as spiritual leaders, pastors, and things like that, and I'll be out to dinner with them or something, and I won't ever hang out with them again. There's, there's a, a, a minister family in my head right now that I went to eat, out to eat with them two or three times, and I finally told Linda, I'm never doing that again, and she said the same thing. She said, I can't stand the way they treat people, the people that don't matter in their minds, the waiters, the waitresses, the, the bus boys, those kind of things. Those are humans just like any other human. Why do, you, why do you treat them like crud? It's not okay. See, when, you, when you're following Jesus, he treats the least of all groups the same as he treats everybody else. 
There is no higher or lower, any of those kind of things. It's everybody. And he treats them all the same because he loves them all the same. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and he placed their hands on them and he blessed them. I was thinking about this in all different other kind of groups. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? This is a group that did not treat people right. This is how Jesus interacts with them. Which, by the way, there's a whole other thing, not to go into a lot of it, but this is actually one of the things that I like and, and respect the most about Jesus is that he was not a wimp. He didn't uh, cower. He didn't, he didn't get nervous or, or scared of things, but he was very bold and he was very upfront. The religious leaders of the day had, had legal and not just spiritual religious power, but they had legal law power that they could get Jesus put in jail. In fact, we see they eventually had him killed. That's how much power they had. And Jesus knew this, and he says to them, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. I, I was thinking about this last week. I know I, I preached very strong last week, stronger than I normally do. But um, I was thinking about this, having to do with the fact that Jesus did this a whole lot more than I ever do. And he was even cooler with it. He called people names. So I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed. You revere these guys, but your grandparents killed them. You act like they're all that, but your grandparents hated them. They killed them. <clears throat> then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. And Jesus is saying, liar. Same thing he says to us today. Now, again, you've heard me talk about this. I, the church is probably one of the most, I'm saying the church in a, in a general sense, not the body of Christ. Religion, church across the planet, different religions, all this kind of stuff, is the most destructive thing on the planet today. It kills people, destroys countries, wounds, all kinds of different things, mentalities. All, it's extremely destructive. And Satan loves that. He loves that he can do something that appears to somebody that doesn't know that this is actually the church. This is actually the body of Christ. But the body of Christ doesn't do those things. Okay? Put, to put it in perspective, the body of Christ would not have done the crusades. The church did the crusades, but the body of Christ would not have. Because we're trying to love people and care for people and tell them about Jesus, not kill them and then say you should have served Jesus. Two different mentalities. The, the idea that that um, the, the hypocritical mentality, and Jesus is saying, you say you would have worshipped them and you wouldn't have killed them, but religion kills, church kills. And it does it today, it did it back then, and it will always do it. It's when we fall in love with Jesus and let his blood just move through our minds and our hearts and change us, let the Holy Spirit change us, that we actually become the body of Christ, and it becomes about caring for people and loving people and truly giving ourselves to people. And this is what he's saying to them. But in saying that you testify against yourselves, that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. You say you'd be different, but you're the same people. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. You, you understand when he says that, that's a prophetic sentence. 
He says, your ancestors have been killing the people of God for years. Go ahead and finish it because I'm the last one. Go ahead and, go ahead and do this with me. Because once you do this with me, it changes everything. And now there's grace. There's everlasting life. All these other things are added to it. Snakes, sons of vipers, how you'll escape the judgment of hell. Snakes, sons of vipers. I love that. He's looking right in their face. Snakes, sons of vipers. I know this sounds weird. Maybe your personality is not like this. But one of the things that I can get behind with Jesus is that he wasn't scared of things. He wasn't scared of people. He was about truth, and he was going to stand for that at all times. He brings the children up and tells the disciples, stop saying this. I like children. I want the children to be part of the kingdom of God. I want the children to understand that I died for them. I want the adults to understand that I died for them. This is not about the religious. It's about people that are hungry. Jesus loved and connected with. These are just a a small group of things that we get straight from Scripture. Jesus loved and connected with, made an intentional connection with sexually immoral people. He he intentionally connected with sexually immoral people of all different types and styles because he's the Savior. He didn't didn't embrace their sin. He definitely told her. In fact, uh, the lady that was caught in adultery told her, "Don't, don't keep sinning. Stop sinning. He wasn't saying it wasn't a sin, but he didn't push these people away and, and make them lesser. I can follow that. I can get behind that kind of hero. Why? Because at different times in my life, I've been that person. And I appreciate the fact that Jesus loves everybody. And if we went around the room, now don't worry, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> okay? If we run around the room, it'd be, it would be surprising to some and maybe not surprising to some, how many of us have some stuff in our past that we're saying, I, I'm in some of these categories. I'm thankful that Jesus cares for this group. Another group, cheaters. Unless it's things like board games and cards and stuff like that, and then it's not a sin. You understand that, right? Are we clear? I mean, I mean we kind of understand that, right? If you're playing cards with a family around Christmas, you can cheat. All right. Pencil that in. Pencil that in your Bible there. (laughs) Please don't do that. I don't want to go to hell because you put something in your Bible. What about liars? Jesus connected, intentionally connected with people that lied. That's a good thing. I've been a liar. Never been a cheater. But I've been a liar. (laughs) See what I did right there? What about thieves? Jesus intentionally connected with thieves. I've been a thief. I'm glad that Jesus loves thieves. Because I'm part of that group. Was. Not now. Mostly. Not now. So, what about the unclean? The unclean in all kinds of different categories. Physical categories like leprosy and things like that. I mean, there was unclean in those days, and we have what we would consider unclean in these days. We have the same thing, right? It, it may look a little different, maybe, but every, every culture has the, the, um, the unclean, just what, what I would consider just the undesirables. We don't want them around. We don't want it. This is one of the things that I, I watched. I was up and I was pastoring out east of Denver and uh, for years and years, and when the, the uh, DNC, the Democratic National Convention, came to Denver, this was quite a few years ago, uh, we, had, we had a handful of cops that were in um, our church at the time from Denver, Denver cops, and, and they were talking about how they're spending like 10 hours a day 
taking all of the homeless people away from downtown and shipping them all over other places. Because why? Denver's a liberal city. We're bringing the liberal leadership. How dare we have homeless people proving that maybe it's not working out? <laughs> How dare we do that? So they literally shipped homeless people to the suburbs and would just take them and drop them off in the suburbs. I'm not making this up. It's, it's weird how then, how then we justify that kind of thinking in our head. We justify that. We just don't want to see them. We don't really care about them. We just don't want to see them. We all have that. And then the next group is poor. Maybe not homeless, but Jesus cares about and intentionally connected with poor people. He cared about poor people. didn't matter how much money you had. This is... This is one of the things that I, I've watched at different times over the years, and, and, and I, I think sometimes I fall into this category. I try not to, but I don't know if maybe it's just, it just subconscious, but it happens. But you, you seem to act different around somebody that's very, very wealthy as to somebody that's not. Specifically, you were in a position like me where somebody wealthy can help change things in your dynamic, right? You understand what I'm saying? They give money, we can build a building. Right? And so you, you'll treat people differently. Jesus didn't. In fact, I think you would very easily prove that Jesus leaned toward the poor more than he did toward the wealthy. He leaned toward them. He, he did things. He, he interacted with them. Um, how about sick people? He was intentional about connecting with sick. In fact, this is one of the things that I can get behind too, uh, and I'll talk about this more, is the fact that he, and he healed them all. Scripture says many different times he healed everyone that came to him. Everyone that came to him. He healed them all. He went to this area and he healed everybody. That kind of thing. Again, I've mentioned the only place he didn't was in his hometown because they just couldn't accept the fact that he could do it. They couldn't believe that he could truly be uh, God. And so he, it stifled what he was trying to do in that area. What about corrupted politicians? Jesus intentionally connected with corrupted politicians. That seemed to be one that seems to get a lot of media nowadays, so I thought I'd throw that out there, right? This is something I'm seeing happening in the church that when I was a kid, there's always been, you know, this side of the aisle, this side of the aisle. There's always been that, the, the liberals, the conservatives, all that kind of stuff. But there's something that's happening now that it, is, it has moved so much into the church that now it's almost an impossibility for a liberal and a conservative to have a conversation, a, a legitimate conversation about something about Jesus or, or Scripture or something like that without their political worldviews overshadowing this. It's becoming challenging. I, I was sitting in a coffee shop just a few weeks ago, and I overheard a conversation that, that I, I just, I really wanted to help these people know that they're ignorant. And so <laughs> I... I I wanted to. I wanted to try to help them. And you're wrong about this. You are wrong. There's, there's factual evidence that can prove that you're wrong about this. And, and I was irritated. I'm frustrated. You're tense inside. You can tell. And then, and then I get up and I leave. They leave. Actually, they left before me. And then later on, I get up. And, I'm, and I'm, a couple hours later, I'm walking into the church doors here. And as I open the church doors, I remember those people. And I thought, I never one time in that entire time sitting in that coffee shop, I never one time thought about their soul. I thought about their political leaning. Well, that's just not okay. 
Jesus isn't okay with that. Do you think Jesus is more concerned with whether somebody's a Democrat, a Republican, or a... What's, the, what's Bernie Sanders? In, social, okay, yeah, but what does he call himself? <laughs> yes, he is a socialist. Independent, I don't know, whatever he is. Um, but does, does Jesus concern, concern himself with that so much as we do? I don't think so. Are those things important to Jesus? Sure. But their soul is the most important. And so Jesus, Jesus was concerned about people, regardless of affiliation or whether they're corrupt or not corrupt. All people groups, every people group he was concerned about. He was concerned about everybody of every kind of ethnic background. He, he intentionally went to people that were not Jewish to, to connect with them, which was taboo. They were a different um, culture. They were different ethnicity. They were different skin color, all these things. And Jesus intentionally went to them. That's the kind of guy I can get behind. That's the kind of person that can be a, a, a hero. Another thing with, the, um, with the, um, the, the boldness of who he is, Jesus goes into the, where the money changers are. He goes into the temple and he sees. Well, first he goes in and he sees the money changers. And then it says that he goes back out and goes and makes a whip. You know, there's a word for that. Premeditation. That's the word. He, he went in, saw me, said, I'm going to open a can. So he goes and he finds a whip because he's going to open a can on them. And he is tired of this and you're not going to do this. And he, and he it systematically weaves a whip and then he goes back in and tears them up. There's a lot of things in the New Testament I've said before. I would love to have been there when Jesus heals this person, blesses this, does this. You know, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. I would definitely, this is like top three. I want to be standing there when he walks back in and kicks tail in the temple. I want to watch him kick the tables over, throw the money around, do all this stuff, shove people, hit them with whips. And I've, I've said this before, and I've had people come up to me after services and say, he didn't really do that. He just showed him the whip and said, I could. You're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. He kicked their tables over and kicked their tails up. And he did it intentionally. Because why? This is God's house we're talking about. Stop playing games. Let me broaden that out just a little bit. And I think this is scripturally responsible. I'm not, I'm not getting too far out there. But I think it's, the mentality is the same thing in today's society. I've had people say today, uh, uh, you know, having a coffee shop in the church is, is a money-changing mentality. That, that's not even close to what it was. That's not the same mentality. It's not at all the same mentality. They were making them... Uh, that because of all of the sacrifices and all the stuff, they had the animals that they that, that pinned up, and they said, you can buy our animals or use your own animals. And a lot of people said, well, your animals are too expensive. I'll use my own animals. And then they'd go into the temple, and the priest would say, your animal is not good enough, but there's some guys out there with animals in cages you can use. They're good enough. They've already been approved, and they're three times as expensive. That's what they were doing. You could not serve God without paying the fees. And Jesus said, that's not okay. Okay, don't confuse that with selling a cup of coffee in a church, right? It's not the same thing. If it is to you, then let it be to you, but that's not scripturally what it is. And Jesus comes in and he kicks tail in there. I love that. Because you're not going to play around and call something Christianity and manipulate people with it and try to use them and get their money and get all this stuff from them because you're the church and it's the only way they can get to God. And he says, you're not going to do that. I love that. 
I've thought about this before, coming back to the kind of the mentality of the liberal conservative that we have in America and all these other kind of things. It's interesting. This is my opinion. If Jesus came to this earth right now, I think by the uh, liberals, he would, be cons- uh, he would be accused of being too insensitive. And by the conservatives, I think he would be accused of being too sensitive. But I don't think he would be accepted today any more than he was accepted then. Because everything he did was to draw people to God and to represent God. And that, that attacks almost every single mindset out there except just a following Jesus mindset. It attacks church mindsets. It attacks political mindsets. It attacks a lot of different things. But it's just to Jesus. It's just about I want you to know that God loves you and he sent me to tell you and die for you. That's the point. And I don't think he would be accepted by a lot of the groups. The third thing about why I... I think Jesus is a hero and why I could get behind this is because he truly is a, a servant. He a true servant to humanity and to God. And he does them together, and that's the cool thing about this. There's a lot of definitions in today's society of what being a servant to people is. Some are biblically based and most are not. The idea that, that, that we just give people things, I, that's, I don't see that in Scripture. That's not serving people. You, you can enable people, and that's a hindrance. That's not helpful. Some of you, you, you have family that have come in for this. They're sitting right here, and you've been enabling them for years. <laughs> That'll start some conversations at home. <laughs> if you don't think it's you, probably is. But, but th- serving people doesn't mean just giving people stuff. Remember the idea of loving people transcendently, loving them to Jesus, not loving them to yourself, not loving to a feeling, but loving them to Jesus. That's serving people. Truly serving them, serving the poor, serving people that need, serving people that are hurting, serving them. Serve them to Jesus, and you'll be doing it the, the, the correct way. Serve them to some program, serve them to yourself, some, serve them to some political mentality, and you're going to be hindering them long term. But serve them to Jesus, and you're going to be doing it the right way. And this is the thing that I believe that Jesus sets the, uh, the stage for. In John chapter 5, verse 30, He says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. In other words, in the physicalness that he takes on, which potentially could be limited, he could be tempted according to Scripture. He doesn't want to make the wrong decisions. And so he says, the way that I'm going to do this is I'm going to do this to God. That's the example we're supposed to follow. I'm doing this to God. I judge as God tells me. Not as I as a human being believe, but I do this as God tells me as this human being. Therefore, my judgment is just, because I'm doing what God tells me, because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. That's, that's, you can get behind that. John 13, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash his disciples' feet. Drying them with a towel he had around him. Wash the disciples' feet. The God of the universe is scrubbing the toes of people. That's, that's mind-boggling to me. I, I've, I talk about this every now and then just so that we have it established very clearly. When I grew up in, in Pentecostal churches in Texas in the 70s, we had foot washings sometimes on Sunday nights. Anybody ever had a, been at a foot washing? All right, the pastor feels spiritual, 
So he calls a board member up or something or calls somebody in the church up and says, I want to wash your feet as a sign of submission and, and that I love you and all these other kind of things. That is never going to happen in this church. I can promise you that. Not for me. I don't even like to watch it. So if you guys do like a, a spontaneous one, I'm going to avert my eyes because I don't like feet. I don't like your feet. I don't like my feet. I don't like my wife's feet. I don't like feet. Jesus literally washes dirty, stinky, nasty feet to say, this is how you live life. Not, this is what I'm doing for you disciples. It's not what he was saying. He was saying, this is how somebody serves God and serves others. And you do this in your existence for life. More than just foot fungus, he's talking a bigger picture. This is a heart attitude toward people. Do we think about people like that? Or we think about what I can get from people. How do we look at this? How do we really think about this? And Jesus is saying this is what serving is. The fourth one is a sacrifice for humanity. Now, obviously, this is the big picture. In John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not of this sheepfold. And again, he's talking uh, people groups. He's talking skin color, worldviews, ethnicities, those kind of things. He's saying that we have the Jewish people. He said, but there's a lot of other people on this planet. And he said, and, and they're my sheep too. We're all in this together. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Do you understand the, the, the magnitude of that statement? This isn't different people groups and different churches around the planet. This isn't different denominations. This, isn't, this is if you belong to God, you are part of one flock. With one shepherd. It doesn't matter how we as human beings uh, uh, silo this, demarcate, put people in different categories. And, and so that we can basically, the reason we put people in the categories is so that we can tell us against them. So we make sure you know I'm on this team, you're on that team. And Jesus said there's one flock, there's one shepherd, we're all in this together. If you're following Jesus, there's one body. There's not a lot of little bodies. There's not a lot of bitty bodies. There's one body. Just thought I'd throw that one in there. <clears throat> the Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. This is the cool part. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. He was doing what God said, and God said, I want you to give yourself to people. I want you to give your blood, your soul, your existence to people. Your very life, give it to people. That's the kind of hero that I can get behind. That truly is a hero. And again, I'm not trying to, 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 to over-attack this or whatever, but in today's society, the way we define hero is about what people can do or how much money they have or how athletic or how they can sing or act or something else. Those aren't heroes. Those are people getting paid all kinds of crazy money to do stuff. Really? That's a hero? We've got people all over the world right now that are putting themselves in harm's way so that we can have freedom and democracy in this country. Those people are heroes. I don't know their names, but they're heroes. 
Those are heroes. Those are truly people. And, and here's the weird thing about it. Many of those people don't even know God, and they're still heroes. I would love for them to know God, specifically if you're putting yourself in harm's way. This is, this is some of the things that we, we get mixed up. I said this a few weeks ago. I think one of the most amazing things uh, that, that is a hero is a parent. You'll understand that. I say this to younger people. You understand that when you have kids. Just the fact that they live. Right? You're a hero. You're, I was telling that to, 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 well, I've told this to all my children, but my oldest is here, my middle one, my, my daughter, they're all in the same house, and our wonderful daughter-in-law with their little baby inside. Don't go pat her belly. It makes her uncomfortable. So... She's carrying our grandchild. But I, 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 I tell my kids, the fact that you are a grown adult means I didn't kill you. I'm a hero. <laughs> right? Why don't you stand with me? I want to show you a picture. Do we have this picture? This is one of my favorite pictures. And Jesus says, so that's how I save the world. The reality is there's a lot of things and people and think, superheroes, all this other kind of stuff. But Jesus is the real one. All the rest of them, and I know there's something that's going to crush you. Not real. Superman, not real. Jesus is real. Jesus can fly, walk on water. He can beam things out of his eyes. Actually says it in Revelation. Jesus is truly a superhero. He's an amazing He's amazing in just in a general sense. The fact that he dies for us makes him somebody I can follow, I can get behind. Bow your head with me. Lord, we ask you to open our spirit, open our hearts. Lord, I, I, just, I just want my life to be about you. God, I pray that for every one of us in here. And our life would just be about you. God, all the other things that we do, our work and, and family and all the stuff, that God, that, that, that you would help us center that all around you. Jesus, we need you. We need you. So open our hearts right now. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that, that is not serving you, that either they've made decisions before, they're taking them away from you, or maybe this had never thought about this, but if they're not serving you, Jesus, open their hearts right now. Stir in their hearts. Let them see. Let them see you are truly the everything. And that Christmas is truly about the greatest gift, and that's you. It's actually you. So soften our hearts, our minds, and help us to see it and to get it. Keep your head bowed. I want to ask you this question. Best question I could ask you on Christmas. Do you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Do you know he's in charge of your life? Are you following him? Do you belong to him? Is he your God? You say, I, I, he isn't, or maybe he used to be, or whatever. There's all kinds of categories here, but basically it's this. Is Jesus God over your life completely? If the answer is no, then I, I want us to pray about this. I want you to, my desire is for you to say, before you leave this morning, to say, Jesus, I want to serve you. That's, that's my desire for every one of us in here. And so to give you the opportunity to do that, we're going we're gonna to all pray together. I'm not going to have you raise your hand or anything like this, but we're going to all pray together. 
And um, we're going to repeat this prayer together. And every one of us in the room, we're going to pray this. But I, I, I would desire for you to say, Jesus, I want you to be in charge of me. I want this prayer is my prayer. It's to my heart, from my heart to you, God. And so as, as we all pray this together, I want to encourage you, if you're saying, I need Jesus as my Savior, that you make this your prayer right now. But let's all pray this together. Dear God, I need you in charge of me. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. And I want you to be my Lord and my God forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Lord God. God, we give you the glory. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your salvation. And God, I pray that, that nobody in this room would just take that casually. They would be serious about it. Lord, I believe if we are serious that you do forgive us. And it really is that simple. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for coming to this earth and taking on little baby form. Lord, thank you for loving us so much that that ended in the cross. Lord, I ask you that everybody in this room would think about you this Christmas. Have a great Christmas time. Lord, help no families fight. Help, uh, help there to be plenty of food. Um, even some of our homeless friends, Lord, make sure that they've got the food, the things that we've even been giving them. God, help them to, to know that you're God above everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I don't ever do this, but, and I, and I usually hate it when guys do this, but I'm up here, so um, go to at least five people and tell them Merry Christmas. And hopefully we will see you tonight. Have a great rest of your Christmas Eve.